Thanks, George, for your kind introduction, and thank you folks for the opportunity of being here with you today. Um, it's really wonderful to be in a place where most of the folks are, are, uh, are young uh, and clean. That's <laughs> great, too. And none of you smell like, like mouthwash, which is um, at least not the kind of mouthwash that's kind of you're sweating out. So, so that's really good as well. Uh, you got to imagine how great it is to be the guy who's always introduced as the suffering guy. The guy who talks about suffering. Imagine how welcome you'd be if everywhere you went you were talking about suffering. Um, I can't quite figure out why I haven't been invited to do chaplaincy work with the Toronto Maple Leafs yet. I think that would be a really good gig, you know? It would have something to, to speak into the, that whole crowd. Um, but but uh, George is quite right. I mean, this, this whole issue of suffering, to, to me, is, is the biggest theological problem that there is. And it's also such a material, uh, present problem in our daily lives, in the way that we live, the way we understand the world around us. Let me tell you very briefly about two things that are going on right now in my community, two things that have happened just since Sunday. Um, there's, there's a woman who's part of our community. If you think of her, you might pray for her. Her name is Terry. Terry is a middle-class woman, 51 years of age. And she's in the hospital right now because she's, uh, she's got some sort of uh, hemorrhaging going on in her brain. She, she knows, she has known for some time that she has an aneurysm in her brain, but apparently this is not the aneurysm. It's something else. That sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? It gets, it gets worse, actually. Just before Christmas, she was diagnosed as having MS. Uh, when she first came to sanctuary about a year ago, she brought her husband with her, who was in the final stages of a terminal illness, and he passed away about three weeks after he first came to be with us. It's a Job kind of a scenario. What do you do with something like that? This poor woman who's had one uh, item of suffering after another just piled on top of, of each other. So that's happening right now for Terry. When, uh, when our worship time was finished on, on Sunday night, I had a couple of people in succession come to me and say, we're having trouble getting the gear back into the music room, the room where we store our music gear, uh, because there are two guys passed out on the floor, concrete floor at the bottom of our stairwell. They're, they're passed out there, and we can't get the door open. <laughs> a couple of friends of mine who um, had been, been drinking and uh, escaped the cold night came in, and for them, a concrete floor at the bottom of a stairwell in the entrance where the door was continually opening and closing was a good, warm, safe, comfortable place to be. That's a little unusual, isn't it? So when I went to wake them up, I don't know why I always get to do this. I get to do this, and I'm the first guy anybody tells if the toilets are blocked. I, I don't know why that is, why people figure that I'm the guy who should know about all of those things. But anyway, I, I, so I go to these two guys, and, and, uh, and I shake the one guy very gently, but I shake him, and he rounds on me with his fist cocked and his eyes bugging out, and, he, and, and he, it took him five or six seconds to recognize where he was or who I was. Um, and, and it took me 15 minutes, probably, to get the two guys on their feet and, and get them out. It was a very difficult thing to do, to ask these two guys who had found a safe place that you or I would scorn, actually, and, and 
and asked them then to leave, to go out into a bitter cold night. Saturday, Sunday night was pretty cold. Knowing that they didn't have anywhere to go. Um, but they went, particularly this one guy I'm talking about, went with really good grace. His name's Cliff. And as Cliff was going, I said to him, Cliff, I would really love to, to have a coffee with you or something in the next few days. Uh, there's some stuff I wanted to talk, I want to talk to you about. Because Cliff, although he's a good friend of mine and a good friend in our community, and Ailish, if you know Ailish Chandler, Ailish knows Cliff really well, um, Simon Bairstow and, and, uh, and Dave Busatil are other people that we've stolen from your community here, so thank you. Um, uh, Cliff is, is a good friend and, generally speaking, a pretty jolly kind of a guy, given all he's struggling with. But, uh, but we'd had to eject him from a drop-in on a Friday because he threatened somebody, assaulted somebody, and then he, assaulted, he threatened somebody else earlier on the Sunday evening. And, 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 and so that's what I wanted to talk to him about. So he came into my office. He walked into my office through an AA meeting yesterday, and he sat down and he said, do you remember that I wanted to talk to you? He said, yeah, that's why I'm here. And I asked him. I said, you know, this is what's going on. You know you're barred because you've been violent... Um, and, and that's not like you. So, so what's happening? And he looked at me and he said, you know, I've given up. So what do you mean? Well, since my buddy died, he had a friend who died recently on the street. He said, I just, uh, I, it's really made me think, what's the point? What's the point of continuing? And you know, it was very difficult to have any kind of answer for my friend Cliff. What's the point of continuing? He's 32 years of age. His whole adult life has been like this. And his whole adult life is like this because of the way his childhood was. Now, I don't know the details of his childhood, but I know what it takes to bring a person to where he's at. And I know the stories of other people who are similar. And so I could posit all kinds of things. But you can imagine, just imagine extreme destruction over the entire course of a person's childhood. That's what it takes to bring a person to where Cliff is right now. What on earth do I say to Cliff in a situation like that? What on earth do I say to Terry, who is a middle-class woman who has had privilege in her life, but now has gone through a year and a half or two years of incredible pain and suffering, and it never seems to end? What on earth do you do with that stuff? To me, it's the biggest problem there is in faith. I know the answers, the theological answers to this. I know that theological equation about free will that, that sort of says, well, you know, because God wants us to have free will and insist that we choose for him, then people have to be able to choose evil. And if they choose evil, bad things are going to happen. Innocent people will suffer. But that's all so that there can be redemption. And, and to that, I say, um, I, I get that. I can't figure out another way around it. Um, but God is supposed to be bigger and smarter than us, and so he ought to be able to figure out a way around it. How come God can't figure out a way so that, so that somebody like Cliff doesn't suffer through his whole childhood and then have his entire adulthood also ruined by that experience? How come God can't figure out a way to, um, to address uh, some, sort of, some sort of equity? If there has to be suffering, can't there at least be equity in suffering? Mind you, I only say this um, theoretically, because frankly, I don't want my share of suffering in this world. I really don't. I, I, I'm, I'm really only for fairness 
in the most remote theoretical sense. Because if, if things were really fair, I wouldn't be standing here. Um, I would be uh, scrabbling for the day's meal somewhere um, in Southeast Asia, probably. I'd be trying to get by on a couple of bucks a day. So there's this problem that we have with suffering. This problem that we have with suffering is, is increased, I think, in, um, in a wealthy world, believe it or not. Because in a wealthy world like ours, we have a strong tendency to cloak suffering. So what we do with, uh, with elderly people is we put them in a nursing home. Um, what we do, do with people who are dying is we put them in a hospice. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the way generally we deal with things. We separate out suffering. We put it somewhere else so that we don't have to deal with it day by day. And we medicate ourselves and we cloak ourselves with the good things in life so that other people can't see the stuff that we suffer with. What happens in that is that we become more isolated. Now, my story, my personal story of suffering is nowhere near dramatic as the two that I've, I've told you about. Mine is very common. Uh, my own story and, and the, 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 the deepest suffering I've experienced in my life was um, the breakup of, of my marriage after 25 years. That, that was plenty of suffering for me, folks. Still is in many ways. That was more than enough. One of the worst things about it is that as a, as a leader, Christian leader in ministry, there's all kinds of people I could never talk to about it while it was going on. And this awful thing was happening in my life. And, and it was like there was this terrible death going on in my life, and, and I could not mourn it because it was not allowed to actually speak about it. But something different happens in a community where people don't have the resources to cloak their suffering. When suffering is so out there that you can't hide it anymore, um, a different kind of thing happens. And what we discover is that in a, in, in a community where suffering is okay, or suffering cannot be cloaked, that suffering actually is a gift. Listen to what the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says. This, uh, remember chapter 11 in Hebrews? He tells about all the heroes of the faith. Do you remember what makes them heroes for the most part? It's that they suffer. Horrible things happen to them. And because horrible things happen to them, they're heroes of the faith. He doesn't talk about people who, who have had these wonderful, clean lives and, and, uh, and go on and on about, uh, about the hundreds of people down through Hebrew history who have, um, who have never had a day's illness, <laughs> you know, who've worked 30 years without a sick day. Uh, he doesn't talk about people like that. He talks about people who suffer. He talks about people who have lost their lives because of the things that they believe and because of their faithfulness to God. Those are the people who are the true gift to the Hebrew nation as they go forward. And as, as this writer, um, we don't know who it is, obviously, but as this writer is writing to a group of Hebrew people, he is, he is speaking now at this point in history to people who are, um, well, they are the rejected of the rejected 
if you like. You know, the Jewish people at this point in history are the oppressed people or one of the oppressed peoples of the Roman Empire. But amongst the Jewish people, there's this little subgroup of people who are actually Jesus followers, followers. And they're rejected by the Jews. Have you ever seen The Commitments, the movie The Commitments? Great line in it where, where uh, the guy who's trying to get together this Irish band to sing black rhythm and blues is saying, saying to them, you know, the Irish are, 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 the, uh, are the blacks of, of Europe. And, and the Dubliners are the blacks of Ireland. And the East Enders, well, they're the, they're the blacks of Dublin. So sing it out, sing it loud, and black and I'm proud. And all these white Irish guys are kind of looking at each other and saying, what on earth is he talking about? But that's the people to whom, to, to whom the writer of the Hebrews is writing. He's talking to people who know what suffering is. He's talking to people whose lives are endangered any given time and talking to people who've been shoved aside. And this is what he says to them. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, I want you to be aware that you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I want you to understand that the suffering that you endure now is actually a suffering that you share in solidarity with the people of God down through hundreds of, of years, thousands of years. That you're struggling at this moment as part of a great continuum of the heroism of faith. The heroic acts of the past, and, and you might not be uh, a Judas Maccabee, but but your suffering is in that same continuum of faithfulness. We've been singing about God's faithfulness, and as we were singing, and I have to confess that I, I wonder what my friend Cliff would say if we were singing to him about God's faithfulness. I wonder if, if he might cock that fist again. The difference for us as people of faith is that when we actually can live out our suffering in community, we discover that our suffering is not something that isolates us anymore, but it's something that actually draws us together. It brings us to the point where the barriers begin to break down. What I discovered in the course of my own experience of suffering was that when, when it became public in our community, um, <clears throat> rather than, than people turning their backs on me, as had been my experience in some other places, and frankly within the church, um, that my people opened their arms and welcomed me. My people understood for the first time that I was not bulletproof, and they welcomed me. And we came to a new kind of intimacy together. We came to a redeeming kind of intimacy that made it possible not to uh, be glad of having suffered, but to be able to rejoice in the redemption of that suffering. This is the gift of suffering. Um, you know, suffering is, is, you know, I'm sure you'll hear this more about this from somebody else as time goes on. Suffering really is, is the only road to glory in Scripture. You can't get there without passing through suffering. 
When the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, he's talking about an experience of, of living Christ in his life that has been painful for him. He's talking about having um, not just this theological reality in his life, but he's talking about the reality of having his status stripped from him. In a sense, his nationhood stripped from him. Having his uh, sense of, of, uh, of what was right and wrong theologically stripped away from him. He talks about all of this in Philippians, doesn't he? Talks about all of those things that used to be important to him, and now he's come to the point where he just considers them to be excrement. That's really the word there. Well, it's actually a less polite word than that, but I won't use it. Um, and, and he has come to the point where he realizes that the true value of that kind of experience is that it's bringing him to the point of, of longing. That this suffering, this absence in his life as he walks with other people is about being able to truly say for the first time, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be made like him in his death so that somehow I can attain to the resurrection. That's the gift of suffering, and we do not walk it alone. We cannot walk it alone. It's when we share it together that we actually find it's a place of meeting. We want, as a church, to be a place that welcomes people, don't we? We do a lot of thinking about that. We do a lot of thinking about how we can actually bring people into church circumstances, how we can gather them, and so on. And we've been phenomenally unsuccessful in doing that. For many, many years, uh, the, the vast majority of churches that, that grow, and there are only a handful of them, uh, grow because they're attracting people from other churches. We, we don't attract people because we're focused on... on uh, on health and vitality and goodness and, and victory. And, and we have forgotten that actually what draws people to us is not strength, it's not power, but it's our weakness. And we show weakness in our suffering. I've probably said this here before, I'm sure I have, because it's, it's one of the key, key things I think we learn in Scripture. Um, Jesus... Jesus said an awful lot, and all of the stuff that he said is important, but there is no more po po um, important or potent moment in the life of Jesus than the moment when he's hanging crucified on the cross and he's suffering. It's that moment, if there is one at all, that draws us to him, is it not? When we understand why he was there? Is it not the moment of his suffering that draws us and makes, it, makes us realize that this really is somebody that I could trust? He calls us. He calls us into this, and he calls us to walk this road together. This gift that we have of the struggles that we have, the suffering that we have, is a gift of gathering. It's a gift of redemption. And Jesus calls us to walk it with him. He calls us to pick up our cross and walk that same path with him. There's no answer to the question of why. There's only the question of what will we do about it? And how will we live it? Let's ask God for his blessing. Father, thank you. Thank you for um, coming and sharing our suffering in, in the person of your son. Thank you that uh, when we uh, come 
to you, we know we are coming to one who has been made perfect, actually, through suffering, has been made complete by the experience of suffering. And so we come to one who knows what it's like to struggle in the ways that we do. We thank you, Father, that it's in this, this moment that we have fellowship with you. Lord, teach us to, to find also in this moment of suffering a place of fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Help us to be willing to behold it in each other, to look carefully and, and long at the suffering that we share and not to be afraid of it. Um, help us to be willing to embrace those whose suffering, whose suffering is so raw that it's difficult actually for us to look at. We ask these things, Lord, and we commit ourselves to you, to you in the name of Christ. Amen. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged no further word be spoken to them. But you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.